Luke, what's wrong? I saw darkness. The future you see. Future? It was a dream. There of pain. Suffering. Death. Will they die? I know where you come from. Darkness rises. Before you called yourself child of red. And light. You're afraid to meet it. But you will never be as strong as Darth Vader. You have too much of your father's heart in you, young Solo. I killed him once. And look at you. You're haunted. Indeed, split your spirit to the bone. You can't stop seeing what you did to your father. Do you still count the days since your parents left? Such pain in you. Such anger. You can't stop needing them. It's your greatest weakness. Looking for them everywhere. And Han Solo. Now on Skywalker. They see your future. And he feared it. They know your power will be too strong to control. I sensed it building you. And it was beyond what I ever imagined. Take your weapon. Right. Use it. The dark side is in our nature. There it is. Surrender to it. You are uh, compassion. Join me. Join me. Together. You and I can bring a new order to the galaxy. She needs nothing to me. Make things the way we want them to be. Together. I was mistaken. No. I don't know, Vader. Perhaps you are not as strong as the other thought. You're just a child. Weak in a mask. Like your parents. The Jedi turned against me. Don't you turn against me. You were unbalanced. Bested by a girl who had never held a lightsaber, you failed! Good, good. Good. has made you powerful. Most impressive. Thank you. Now, release your anger. My worthy apprentice. You're not with me. That lightsaber. Son of darkness, heir apparent to Lord Vader. It belongs to me. Where there was conflict, I now sense resolve. Then you're my enemy. Where there was weakness, strength. There's no escape. No, no, we're still holding on. Let go. Let the hate flow through you. Complete your training. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. And fulfill. Destiny. We're approaching 200 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name's Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me in Denver is the Daniel Mothershed, actor, playwright, and pop culture enthusiast. And that's true. This is the sound of my voice. Mother Shed, we have a guest. We do. With us is the Aaron Sky Guy. Aaron is the most passionate defender of The Last Jedi that I know. And you know why we should bring him on today, Daniel? The, the usual thing I'm supposed to say is this is the way, but I feel like that's <laughs> wrong. So uh, well, take it away, Jeff. It is the five-year anniversary of, of, course, of The course. Last Jedi. So Aaron, thank you. For joining us, my man. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. Gonna feel just because I know how much you love the 
movie. It's like having a uh, having a young child. I imagine they're growing up. <laughs> they're feeling you know, their their arms are stretched out now. You can kind of say, okay, this is this is who they are, and then mm-hmm. who they're going to be for the future. At least that was my experience as a parent. But in proper Star Wars uh, tradition, it's five, but it looks f- 102. Did you see this movie in the theater? I did. I actually have a pretty cool story. At the time, I actually lived in Iowa, and you know, my, my dad came to visit me, and I, it had been a long time since I had seen him. And so it was really awesome being able to see that movie and share that experience with him. Uh, you know, having not seen him for a long time, uh, and it, like, even from from day one, you know, not only do I just love the movie, but it just kind of means a lot to me personally, just because of that experience and memory. So, that is a great story. Do you, Do you have a story, Mother Shed? Can you remember watching this film for the first time? Yeah. Yes, it is not going to be anywhere near as <laughs> like it hit me. It's like, uplifting. I got I got genuinely got a little emotional during that story just because my <clears throat> not the Last Jedi, but my introduction to Star Wars was getting the VHS tapes of the original movies with my dad, and he was excited to show us. So I'm I have a I have a I have a heart for those stories. So that that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I my my brother and I. That's kind of our tradition now is to is to is to go see Star Wars movies together, and um, so he and I he and I went to this one. So no, yeah, just just kind of a fun bonding thing that we do, but that's um that's kind of it. That's awesome. <clears throat> my kids and I, so my youngest and I are Star Wars fans. We go, we we <laughs> camp out ahead of time. We're well at, in the day, I suppose that this was released. You couldn't reserve seats, so I know that we showed up three hours early to ensure that we had the space. Yep. My yep. oldest has uh, uh is high functioning autistic. And I think this may have been one of the last movies in a theater I watched with them because the, the, the sounds and, uh, can be kind of overwhelming. And so that, that ended up being I, I, my memory, my family going to see Star Wars, I, I want to say, for the, the last time in a, in a theater. So anyway, some special – one of the things that Star Wars does, special energy. Very few things in our culture pull people of all sorts into similar spaces. Definitely. To just be hyped, yeah. So I th- I think particularly it's a, I mean I don't want to say it's a family story because it's not necessarily, but it has become such a thing that families do together, and there is something really charming and wonderful about that to me. I don't see that as much with <clears throat> my brother and I. Also, have gone to see every Marvel movie since two thousand and eight together, but but I. D- I don't think my whole family would go see a Marvel movie in the way that at times we would go to Star Wars films or watch them as like a family movie night on a Friday after school or after my dad got done with work or something. Right. Yeah, I, it's definitely a weird experience because it's it's so generational. It connects people from all age groups. Big time. Huge point there. There's very few things in a culture like ours that we used to have you know when i was growing up we had three television stations (laughs) very much shared pop culture you know a movie would come out like when when michael keaton's batman came out that was a huge movie event and rightfully so the more that the internet spreads us out and gives us little bubbles to live in the less that we have these sorts of tent poles everybody's involved everybody gets to see it and enjoy it kind of events and we're celebrating on that front what i i will say what i have been liking because of some streaming platforms like your your apples or or even disney plus to just keep it 
in the Star Wars world. I love that these shows are now going back to airing once a week. So it does it yeah. does kind of cuz I'm I'm right in the middle between people who have have never known a world without the internet and people who used to have to go to the library to look up stuff about Star Wars because that was my little brother and I but um I like that it's kind of come back to it. It comes out once a week. If you saw it, you saw it. And that can be sort of the central discussion as opposed to the the streaming platform of Netflix where something drops all at once and conversations are like, did you see that? Th- but are you at the... What have you seen? <laughs> what's, what's your preference on that front, Aaron? Do you like the, the weekly <clears throat> release or do you like it when they drop full shows? Um, I feel kind of mixed on this topic a little bit because I actually really enjoy just like going straight through a show, just binge watching it and getting the whole thing done. That's actually what I did with the recent uh, series on Netflix Wednesday. I just watched that whole thing right through. So good. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, And then I even did it with Andor, kind of, kind of. So what happened was I was like a, a few weeks behind everyone else. So it got to the point where I was able to watch like it, it like watched the show consecutively for like a week. Oh, nice! Uh, and then eventually we like caught up. I caught up with everyone, and then I had to wait. But it was really cool. So I like the convenience of just being able to like not wait, but also at the same time having to wait for an episode to drop and everyone being on the same page for like a like a week or a few days. It it creates this communal experience that I think you can't get you know, if everything just releases all at once. So it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I'm with you on that. This is one of the things, this is Twitter at its best, is it kind of opens up the dialogue for everyone moving through a show at the same point in time. But speaking of Twitter at its worst, (laughs) I'm I'm not sure there's a better example of the toxicity of Twitter than it, how it got sabotaged regarding this film. Granted, uh, there's probably a lot of it. Like, I don't know what the percentage of Russian bot interference was, but I heard that was a huge thing. So, Jeff, have you seen the news recently? I think there are worse things there's, on Twitter than that. Am but, I wrong? But, I don't disagree, but also I disagree. Well, maybe, maybe this is me. That what hate bigotry and ass clownery of all sorts exists on the internet. I, I suppose that's a given for me now. It's when things that we love and that are beautiful <laughs> That's the setup are to the story. sabotaged. That's the thing that gets me. So like cause it was effectively the you know, the folks who were crawling out of a smelly hole somewhere ended up doing a great job, you know, defecating all over things that we we love. They're one of the few shared experiences we have in our culture right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I uh, yeah. I, I would actually agree with that. It feels like joy is something to be eviscerated on Twitter, I guess. In fact, a lot of Aaron's work ends up being just consistent pushback of, hey, I really like this thing. You know, quit crapping on the things that I I enjoy, which I, which I, which I highly respect. Yeah, I've, I've really tried over time to make sure that it comes across more like I'm just sharing my love and appreciation for something. Because not only do I think... By just doing that, it'll be leave a more positive impact. But also, I think it's better for my, for my mental health, right? <laughs> you know, because if I'm if I'm constantly you know trying to go head to head with all the toxicity and and hate, uh, it it feels like I'm more on the offensive when I should just be expressing mm. how I feel, and that's all I need to do, you know. Um, but yeah, you're totally right. That's 
pretty much what my a lot of my stuff on Twitter has been. These are life lessons that neither Daniel or I have learned yet. Just... I was just about to say I feel very I feel very convicted about my own personal Twitter use. Because <laughs> you're absolutely right. Need to make better life choices. I I'd heard Mike Birbiglia had said as a comedian and storyteller I really like he had he had made a comment a few years ago on a podcast saying I'm at the point where I'm ready to stop defining myself by the things I hate. Right. And that that ran into me like hearing that ran into me like a bus because that's so much of of my own mental process on on pop culture and so much of societies and I don't know if it's a holdover from when you're 18 you think you sound intelligent when you critique something by just destroying it but mm -hmm. there's there's actually no value in that and this is just reinforcing that in my mind yeah the recently a meditation and by the way I'm really bad on these is telling myself the only two questions that matter is what do you want and what are you for and because I quickly degenerate into critique. I'm, a, I'm also a fan of does this need to be said? Does this need to be said right now? And does this need to be said right now by me? <laughs> wisdom. It's just pour, pouring out from us today. I don't follow any of this wisdom. I hasten to say that um, <laughs> on paper. This, this, this would be a great philosophy of life if somebody lived it. <laughs> yeah. If you're doing this, uh, uh, tweet at us. Let us know if, uh, well, you're doing, he is, you're doing it and it's working. <laughs> Thanks. So I, all that to say, I, I, we have obviously devotion to Star Wars. All of us spend a lot of time giving our um, energy to Star Wars, promoting Star Wars, uh, dissecting Star Wars. And when it comes to this movie, the three of us come into three different camps. Aaron, as has been said, is a, a strong, passionate, articulate defender of Last Jedi. Uh, I'm, I find myself in the middle. I think there's a lot of things to like. I think there's a lot of things that I really wish they had done differently. And in my few conversations with Daniel on this front. And I'm apparently the uh, ass clown crawling out of a cave who's de <laughs> destroying things that people love. Uh, those, we we those, set that up well. Those, those were the folks who, who I believe were talking about people's uh, gender and race. And, oh, right. And just wanting to trash human beings. Cause, <laughs> True. Or Russian bots. It was one of the two. That's right. I guess I'm neither uh, of those. You're not, really not, a good not, point. In, the, not in that space. <laughs> no, no, no. So in order to celebrate, and, and actually one of the things, so we've brought this up in the past. I'm a passionate sports fan for the Broncos and the Rockies, both of whom are miserable organizations right now. And part of being a fan can be just saying, man, I really wish this would be better because of my love, passion, and devotion. And so uh, the positives, being able to name the positives really matters. And perhaps being able to name the, the apt critiques really matters. So what we're going to do is pitch five things that we love, three things that we think could have been improved. We each came with our lists. And so that's where we're going to go. You guys ready? Yeah, absolutely. I'm ready. Aaron, you got to bring it. What's the, what is the thing you love most about this movie? So um, the thing I personally love most about The Last Jedi is definitely Luke Skywalker's arc in the movie, and that's probably the most controversial thing in the movie. <laughs> this is my number two as well, so let's, let's get into it. I love Luke's story. For me, Luke, ever since I saw the original trilogy, has always been my favorite Star Wars character of all time. Like, 
Like, no one will ever reach the heights of Luke Skywalker in my mind. That's, for me, he is Star Wars. Like, when I think of Star Wars, that's Luke Skywalker. So, I'm so happy with how they handled him in this film. Because from my perspective, I think one of the worst things they could have done with his character is to put him up on this pedestal. Because I, I think they would have taken away so much of what I loved about him. What I loved about Luke is that he felt so much like me yeah. in the original trilogy. And uh, I'm a wreck. <laughs> so you're, you're amongst you're amongst yeah, the right people. A, so you're welcome. <laughs> in fact, I know some of our listeners. So we're, we're, we're just all a support group. I was just going to, you know, like even in, if you look back in the original trilogy in, in A New Hope, Luke is like a whiny brat and he's like complaining all the time. And then in Empire Strikes Back, he doesn't listen to Yoda at all. And then he gets his hand chopped off because of it. <laughs> I had never paired those two together, but that's exactly right. You know, if you had just listened to Yoda, you would have still had a hand. I think that's a good message for Star Wars and maybe societally right now. It's okay to listen to teachers, gang. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, like if Luke hadn't gone there, his his friends probably would have been fine. Um, and when you think about it, because... His 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 friends were already like leaving. They were they were going by the time he got there. So it's not like Vader was keeping them around or whatever. And then Lando's plan to let them escape would have worked anyway if Luke hadn't gone. So and then if you look in Return of the Jedi, when when a lot of people think that Luke is at his peak, when they think he's at his most perfect, he's still struggling. Like, dude thinks mm. that he's gonna save you know Darth Vader, his father who's committed so many atrocities and, and is like one of the most evil people ever. And even when Luke is constantly saying that he believes in him and that he can save him, Luke is still, Luke still tries to kill him. When, when Vader threatens his sister and his friends, especially Leia. So he's always had this darkness inside him. He's always been extremely flawed, even when he's at his, the height of his, of his power. Uh, and I'm not sure else, how else to put it, or maybe his peak or his prime. When many people think of Luke, they think of Return of the Jedi Luke. But even in Return of the Jedi, he he's always been this very flawed character. Agreed. That's well said. Yeah. One of the things, I hadn't picked this up, so I've been consuming to get my positivity up on this. Consuming all the YouTubes <laughs> on, on here's what's great about The Last Jedi. <laughs> One of the things that got pointed out, which I hadn't thought about, is that J.J. Abrams leaves Luke on that island. And you have to pick up this movie there. That's the only option you have. So what does Luke know about the rest of the galaxy at the end of Force Awakens? What does Luke know? Uh, like, what's his life situation? He has left and is isolated. There's clearly stuff going on in the galaxy. There's been battles fought and the rest. You have to tell a meaningful story. And so uh, Ryan Johnson grabs hold of really the obvious story that's there. Something really, really bad happened and Luke retreated. And so let's pick up there. And and that's what you got. And from that point, I really like the story as well. On the resonating side, and I've said this a handful of times, I used to work in ministry. I know what it's like to bail the order, as it were. I know what it's like to say, you know what, I think I'm just going to get drunk for a year and and call it a day. And there's something about where, when when you deconstruct and your your identity kind of falls apart that you're just like, I need to just push all of that away for a hot minute and 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 find myself and that might look very very you know retreating in 
nature. And so I likewise, as an older man, really identify with this character. Do you have do you have a an opinion on the Luke arc, Daniel? I do, yeah. Um this is how they should have done some of the stuff in Kenobi. Yeah. Because I love the idea of the 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 guy who turns away from the cloth, as it were, and goes away, but doesn't just kind of disappear and fall apart and entirely lose who he was. Luke still is clearly even though Ray says you've shut yourself off from the Force, he clearly hasn't. The guy hops across on a spear, across a ravine, onto a tiny crack, spears a fish, does all Might this. I need stuff. some superpowers to, to do that sort of stuff. There's a bit of a divot from the step out of my apartment onto the street. <laughs> if I jumped over that, I might hurt myself. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I love that they didn't just do the disgraced, fallen-from-glory, alcoholic character. Uh, he, he still has... He's still doing a lot. He's helping this. Are, are they nuns? Are they nurses? The 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 alien race on that planet, which I entirely forgot about until even last night. Aaron knows. Yeah, they're, they're just called the caretakers. Perfect. Um, and it seems like they've got a nice life until Ray shows up and starts <laughs> dropping shit on their carts and houses. But yeah, I like that he is still he's still very much connected to life. He's not just. Hiding. It doesn't feel like he's hiding. He yeah. has decided this is what my life is. I'm gonna live here. I I have I have seen and in a way been responsible for a lot of things. Mm. I feel like he's one of the only characters we see in Star Wars, kind of taking responsibility and owning their actions. And 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 so this go around of watching the movie, I thought I actually really like what they're doing with Luke. He actually feels very mature and and evolved more so than he he is in the other films and more so than a lot of these other characters even the legacy characters when we meet them so this this go around i actually found myself thinking i really like what they did with luke and i really like mark hamill's performance oh yeah agree in in this particular movie as well it 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 really grew on me from five years ago you had thoughts on that uh aaron yeah i i think uh i definitely one thing you mentioned was that you know it feels like Luke has evolved and I think a good example of that is even though he's a hermit now and he's kind of shut himself off he's he's no longer helping the galaxy like he probably should be like you said he has evolved is in that in the original trilogy he didn't really put much thought into his actions he just kind of did stuff yeah but now it feels like he's on this island he explains to Rey why he did what he did why he's doing what he's doing he you can tell he's he's really thought about this. He he feels confident in this decision. He's you know maybe even if if he wants to help, he he's thought about this. He believes it's the right thing to do. So. Yeah, there's a lot of intentionality behind his choices and what he's doing, as opposed to the hot-headed recklessness of the the Skywalker boys that we've seen in mm-hmm. the other films and television shows. My my big take here is there's a ton of I, so I teach philosophy or religion the ton of Buddhism that's really praiseworthy and well conveyed in Empire. This is a Catholic Luke. Mm. The trauma, the broken relationships, the sense of personal failure that is is all over his inner life. Just uh, robust there. He this is one of the few movies that has a really worthy emotional arc for an older man in pop culture so so often pop culture is about the young strong 
people who are who have superpowers. But this old older guy, and I find that really interesting. Logan has that arc. Uh, Unforgiven has some of that stuff going on. Um, you know, if you if you watch Top Gun Maverick, there's some of that. But uh, on the cutting himself off from the Force, this is one of the few nuanced places where he doesn't know that Han has died. So he hasn't. He's not in touch with the Force on that end. Um, he's 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 just disconnected from reality, but that's about his his soul. And the place that it picks up is in his fight with Ray. Just to to mention the beats, because I really like these beats. He gets in a, in an emotional re, um, I care about this woman in front of me argument with Ray. He is inclined to retreat. She pushes him over, and he catches himself with the force. And that's the first time that he re-engages. And I didn't cut that, but I think that's really clever that that's the point of re-engagement. He feels it. He feels like he's re-engaging. And the first thing he does is I'm going to burn down the church. And that's a, it's like he's like pushed into that place of emotion, which is, I think, really helpful. And then when he goes down, goes to burn down the church, it's a very Catholic scene. And again, I'm not Catholic, but it feels Catholic to me that his priest shows up and then he has a confession and his priest is Yoda and he's going to tell him all of his, all of his sins. And he just starts, it just starts flowing out of him, the places that he feels like a failure. And then there is a new call to adventure. The call to adventure is all over Luke from that first scene, which lightsaber throw in the rest, but it's a call to adventure to come do something. And then Ray does it again in that fight. And then Yoda does it in that scene. And I'm just really intrigued by that. And then the obvious, the ending of the movie, I, I think there's very few misses with the end of the movie. I, I find that also interesting too, that call to action. The, the second thing that for me, um, I really enjoyed is that this movie, the way it's structured, the way that it is structured is very cool to me. Um, and Ryan Johnson even brought this up in an interview recently uh, with uh, it for the Potathon in this year um, that I watched, which was the trio of trios. This is how each main character, each main character in the movie, whether it's Ray, Finn, or Poe, they're split apart and they're they're paired up with two other characters. So we have a movie with a trio of trios, and it was basically for each main character these two characters in their arc are the most important characters for Rey it's Luke and Kylo Ren for Finn it's Rose and DJ and for Poe it's Leia and Holdo yeah. and I I think it's such a cool way to kind of to kind of break down the movie because it still gives us this trio of characters it still makes us feel like this trio is are the main characters while not having them all be together at once um and I, it's kind of a whole thing to break down. It's it's because you know it's like nine. No, that makes sense. There's a lot of intentionality yeah, yeah. there. So yeah, but I just really find that to be a really cool narrative device. Solid. That's that's super interesting. I've I've never I've not heard that nor thought that. That's interesting. The separation of the characters mimics, in my mind, Empire, where when you break apart the characters, and this comes out of Lord of the Rings as well, when you separate the characters and they suddenly have these splintered stories. I find that that's a helpful storytelling device in these sorts of properties. But I feel like there's a lot of Empire Strikes Back all over this movie. It sort yeah. of inverts the plot a little bit, but there's a handful of things happening where it's like, oh, that's very similar to Jed or, uh, to, to Empire. Oh yeah, Th there's the there's the cave that has 
you know, right. dark side of the force uh, vibes or, or whatever, uh, which, and, and that's totally fine. Cause that's my favorite star Wars movie. So <laughs> lots of rhymes. Yeah. Uh, what you got is, uh, is one of your favorite things, Daniel. Uh, Laura Dern is one of my top favorite things in this movie. That, that character is so interesting and I'm, I'm torn between being mad that we got so little of her. Um, and not in a way where she feels underused because that's one of the most incredible. That was the thing I remember from the movie theater when she zooms through Snoke's ship and it's silent because there's no sound in space. And, and that is incredible. I just, everything about, I also just think Laura Dern is a genius. Every movie she's shown (laughs) up in, in the last several years, she's been one of the best parts of, she destroys me in little women. Like, Everything about everything about her as a, as a performer is great, but I just love that character. She's so she's so resolute. She knows what's right. She knows what to do, um, and the the sacrifice she makes so that the rebellion is allowed to continue, I think, is incredible. Got thoughts on Haldo? Um, I was actually I'm very relieved to hear you say that uh, because I had a whole thing written up about defending Haldo as a character. <laughs> So I was, I was yeah, I think she's hard. I think she's great, and I know, and I know people don't, and that's the one, that's one of the criticisms I'll, of this I'll movie. I'll be the outlier. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts later. But Jeff, I, I you're do breaking up. Keep it, What's keep that? It up. <laughs> 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 I think Laura Dern's amazing, by the way, and I love the 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 suicide uh, kamikaze move there at the end. But what, what were you gonna say, Aaron? Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, the main thing I, I really like about Holdo is that I. In terms of uh, Poe's arc uh, and how she treats him, I know a lot of people have a problem with that. Oh, see, I loved it. But the reason why it works for me is because um, she doesn't baby him or, like, what Poe did at the beginning of the movie is was very reckless. You know, he disobeyed orders. He got tons of people killed that didn't need to die, um, especially when the resistance is, like, already super small and doesn't have much to spare <laughs> like like leia in my opinion and even holdo a little bit went kind of easy on him you know but like <laughs> <laughs> like you know like so what i liked about holdo is that she wasn't gonna like just sit there and like baby him or tell him exactly what he needs to do she's like no you you did this now just like you don't get to go easy on i don't i'm not i don't get i don't have to go easy on you you did this. Now go just follow my orders. I know what I'm doing. You know, if if Poe would have just been like, okay, you're in charge. You know, I get it. You know, I made a mistake. Everything would have been fine. If you know. And she she does all that in absolutely the right ways too for that particular character. Sort of when when she when, oh right wasn't the last thing that Leia did to it was to demote you right oh yeah yeah right you're so go go sit down yeah yeah it's 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 you know you you meet people's energy and and she understands how to how to communicate with that character and it's it's so brilliant mm-hmm. and it to me it feels like it feels like both her and leia at several times in this movie know that poe could be a leader and he's not doing it the right way so they're kind of intentionally trying to break him of those bad habits and force him to be aware of those things mm-hmm. and give him the opportunities to learn to actually become a leader. And I love that. Yeah, that's definitely the vibe I got um, at multiple points, especially near the end, uh, you know, before uh, Holdo goes and, 
you know takes command of the ship when when leia um and is talking to her you know she holdo tells leia you know i like him Mm -hmm. she didn't hate him or like dislike him or anything like she just knew that he needed a push in the right direction and that he did need to be you know, punished for what he did. She's not being mean. She's being a leader. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I love her look. I love her acting. It's clearly phenomenal talent. Uh, love her death scene. The thing I don't like most is, is what you're bringing up. I think the clues or entry points for enjoying this film is to understand that this is a tale told as Star Wars young adult fair. She's a she's not a general. She's a teacher. She's a sixth grade teacher, eighth grade teacher in my mind. Her posture of heart towards Poe seems to me more of that sort. I think that Poe, Finn, Ray, Kylo are all they look like they're, you know, mid 20s, even early 30s. But these are teenagers in terms of their maturity level, in terms of how they're coming to the world, in terms of I'm the only one that matters most of the time. The I, which I don't think is necessarily a negative. I think that the I was going to say because wasn't Luke nineteen years old? For me, the 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 young adult side of this can be really valuable, enjoyable. Some of the better tales, I think. I think like Game of Thrones, I think actually hits it best in terms of really talking about young people in peril, growing. But there's been a lot of stuff like Hunger Games, and I, I didn't ever get into Twilight, but that it felt like those sorts of films, or Harry Potter, those sorts of films that are telling stories of young people having to develop. And her interaction with Poe, if you take it out of the Star Wars universe, you put it into a military situation, just this doesn't happen. That's not how that looks anywhere. He causes a mutiny in the next scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's good leadership up until the point that you let the person who has no emotional maturity and bad understanding of tactics take over the ship. You know, that, that, that might be also qualify as a, as a leadership failure, I think. But you... Because you couldn't stop a mutiny? Yeah, that Captain Phillips guy was a real loser. He didn't stop those pirates from hijacking his ship. Come on, why was that guy allowed to be captain? He didn't have a conversation with them prior. Yeah, he didn't just respond with, actually, no, I'm still the captain right now. So, yeah, he bad leader. I don't know how to how else to put this. I think that, like, her, like the, the I, I think the writing here... It, we'll talk about this later. It's, it's kind oh, of a letdown. Her, that's her my en- biggest criticism of the movie. So her yeah. engagement with with Poe, I, I had the opposite kind of response. I, uh, he seems he seems like uh, a very immature person that a mature general would understand. This person needs to get set aside. But she doesn't not do that. She does set him aside. Yeah, he overpowers her and and disagrees with her. But that's not her fault. Uh, there's a warmth that I think y'all were communicating in terms of, I like him. Me too. You know? Yeah. But they do, they do bench him. Yeah. Pat him on the face. I mean like. Right. But they, but they choose to take him off of the field. I believe that's what the sports people say. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. The sports ball folks. He gets benched. They do shoot him. (laughs) Like. You know, like, and before... Oh, right. <laughs> you know, but, like, even before that, when he's, like, freaking out on, on the bridge of the ship, she tells him to get off the bridge, like, to, like, she kicks him out so he can't come back in anymore. 
you know, without, you know, obviously, you know, having a mutiny and forcing himself on. Like, she does things. I, I feel like there's a big leap where he's like, okay, he's like, I don't like this plan. And I'm, and I'm freaking out because I think we're all going to die. Okay. And she's like, all right, get out. Like, like stop causing trouble. Like, you know, leave, go. And then, and then he does all this. And it's like, I... I feel like a dude freaking out on the on the bridge and you know her telling him to to get away and like stay as far away from there as possible like that that seemed to work for me but I, I you know I I understand where you're coming from for sure likewise it's one of the places that the the pacing the the movement of the movie didn't didn't work for me it but in order to get there, if I think of it as more of a, it felt more like a classroom setting. It felt more, again, as though this this would be the kind of interaction that might happen at Hogwarts. Then I, I feel like that allows me to at least get into it. So that may not be valuable, and and you all can disagree with me in terms of it. The like the the whole movie having more of a young adult fiction side to it. But I think this the, uh, this is helpful for me in terms of, for example, when Kylo Ren destroys his mask, going to that spot where he gets so angry and wants to burn down the past. That's a great image of what I think is really just teenage angst, um, getting judged by a mentor, not feeling like you're successful. I feel like the 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 telephone calls between Kylo Ren and Ray, I mean, the force uh, interactions you, the, they have. The you up texts that, in, that he keeps sending her. End up having that that kind of feel that it's this is what a high school drama works like. And I have nothing against high school dramas. I'm a big fan of a handful of films on these fronts. Um, but yeah, the... Uh, Haldo is a there. There's a lack of realism in her as an actual general for me. However, her death is amazing, which brings me to I suppose my third thing that I love is the look of this film is incredible. I think this is arguably the best looking Star Wars film. Uh, the only reason it may compete with Empire, I think, is because Empire has such a strong hook in my soul um, for the visuals, mm-hmm. and it's expertly created but the the look from Holdo's sacrifice the white red contrast on crate the throne room battle the place i get most emotional when i first saw the movie was with the use of leia's hologram from new hope oh yeah those sorts of visual touches as well as they're they're executing some of the space battles really well just the whole look of it i think is really quality uh yeah i definitely think that's the yeah. the one thing that almost everyone can agree on <laughs> No, oh, yeah, it's it's good looking, good looking movie. You got you got a third thing that you love. Aaron? I put the the theme that kind of really was put at the forefront in this movie with Ray's arc was that anyone can be a hero, or that bloodlines don't matter. I'm a I'm a really big fan of it. It's for me, Ray in The Force Awakens was a character I was interested in, but I personally didn't really relate to her much too much I guess for me I just didn't there wasn't something that really jumped out at me that I could latch on to and this movie really gave me that um and something I find really interesting is that the that whole theme was more of a byproduct of how Ryan Johnson decided to write the movie because he talked about this uh quite a lot around the time the movie released where he said that 
he he didn't really go into it thinking that he was going to make some grand statement about Star Wars or whatever. He just, you know, he, t he said that he was writing the characters and he was thinking what would challenge these characters the most. And this was the conclusion he came to about it is that Rey is on this journey of trying to find her her place, her 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 sense of belonging, who she is. So, um, what would be the thing for her to hear that would challenge her the most? And that would be to give her to to her answer that she is looking for to be the complete opposite thing of what she wants to hear, because she knows that her parents are never going to come back, and she knows that you know. Uh, you know, maybe she can go out and find someone who can replace them for her. Maybe someone can give that to her, give her some sense of purpose. Um, and when Luke fails to do that, you know, she goes to Kylo. And when he kind of fails to do that, it then kind of goes back to her parents. And she kind of has to realize they don't have anything for me. Uh, my lineage, my blood, there's no, um, you know, what my parents were. It's not what I want to be. Uh, I want to be much more than that. Uh, and I think, um, you know, saying that is something so important because it, it tells people that, you know, who you are is not defined by these very kind of who you want to be is up to you. You can make that choice. I think it's a great articulation of like the positives of Ray's arc. I have a, my, um, one of my primary negatives is going to be about Ray's arc, but um, so I'll save that for a bit. But do you have do you have thoughts on the bloodline doesn't matter, mothership? I do. Um, I do like the everything that that Aaron just said, and and I think for for audiences, particularly young people who who see these movies, because because as George Lucas says, and as as I believe is true, Star Wars is inherently f for younger viewers, and I think particularly right now. People hearing that it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from or whatever, you can choose to do great things. You get to decide. And I think I think those messages are really really excellent. I don't love how they got executed. Uh, I feel like I think I said on this podcast once before, meeting Luke by having him toss the lightsaber over his shoulder sort of feels like a metaphor for a lot of the things they set up and a lot of the hopes and a lot of the directions we could have gone with this movie. They just get kind of tossed away because they didn't matter to whomever was writing the movie and and they it feels like well i don't none of this stuff matters to me and i don't want to put it in the movie well what if somebody says it should matter well i'll make it part of the movie that none of it matters so that was a little frustrating just the utter lack of of anything with with ray it feels a little disappointing cuz cuz you want there to be something in there and and it's nothing and and it doesn't feel like it was necessarily planned really well that it was nothing because you can have characters that are that and they're fascinating. This just felt like they didn't come up with anything and and as at at the last minute went, oh, what if what if it doesn't matter? And that doesn't work for me. I also really like the the opportunity to say that her her bloodline doesn't matter. And Ryan Johnson obviously builds a ton of his knives out around that kind of imagery of, of really, you know, pushing those who who lean into their their privilege should really be checked and think through here are the real dangerous and dehumanizing elements. And with, with Ray who's clearly scavenger, 
set up in this, as far as we knew by this movie, was going to have no like lineage, especially in what can be for Star Wars the uh, daytime soap opera, you know, kind of family meanderings that. <laughs> But we're also related. I, I personally, I, you can do that once, and let's just call it good there for for me. Uh, I think once we start connecting everybody through some sort of, um, I don't think she needed to be related to any of the other characters. I just wish there was something of a little bit more substance either direction they went with it. Because it, yeah, yeah, you're right. Exactly. It works great in Knives Out. Doesn't work in this movie. No, for and, me. And Knives Out would be, I think, a great example of of Ryan Johnson telling a very similar tale of a person based on their merit, quality, character, uh, elevating and being central in moving the world forward. It seems like that's where both those movies kind of end with these female protagonists who have who have done the thing, you know. But I think that's a, I, I like that. It's an excellent point. Um, you got another thing you like, Mother Shed? I love that we see Yoda <laughs> again. Let's talk about Yoda. I love that he's back to being a puppet. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know. Probably listeners and and Jeff, just you as my friend, know how much I love the Muppets and how much I love for, and respect Frank Oz. And I just love that he went back to being a puppet. I, that that means so much to me because of the nostalgia of of that's what Yoda looks like to me. Just yeah. that's how I've most of my life that's been Yoda. But I just the scene with Luke and Yoda is the one scene in the movie where they really get into tradition doesn't matter we can get rid of this stuff because it lives on in us and we don't have to have these books we don't have to have this tree some of the humor with with well these texts are important oh yeah real page when he when yoda says real page turners yeah. it's it's that humor works for me because yoda is so quirky and it's really one of the few places in it where i really don't want to roll my eyes at the it's okay to let the past die i think for whatever reason the theology in that scene just really works for me because who knows that better than Yoda? Yoda has lived a very long, 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 long life and so many times seen the people, the places, the the ideas, the 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 fundamental things that he knows and loves get stripped apart and he's still there and and the re, the resistance still keeps happening regardless. So so I think Yoda saying it's okay to not be beholden to this stuff. It's one of the few places in the movie where I think yes. I absolutely love where he's coming from with that. And this is exactly what Luke needs to hear from exactly who he needs to hear it from. Right. Agreed. There's you want to burn this tree down? I'll do it. You know what I mean? That's, that's how, that's how confident I am that things are okay. And I, I just, I, that really works for me. Again, being, having been professional clergy for a while, having somebody say page turners, they were not is a great indictment of a lot of sacred texts where you're just like, holy crap, this stuff is thick and I'm trying to get something out of it. But today it just, it's an off day for me, apparently. And, and Luke going, no, but they're these books. Off. They're really important. He's like, yeah, like, it's not like you're consuming these things. I just yeah. love the hell out of that. And, and bringing it back to a lot of flesh and blood humanity. I care about this human being. Ray is really important as a human soul. Let's, let's invest in her. That's, uh, that's quality. What do you think, Aaron? Um, well, something I, I think that's really important about um, that scene to keep in mind is it's a scene very much built around Luke as a character. Again, I think this is a point where where, yeah, you can get some big statement about Star Wars out of it, but 
Ryan Johnson again said in an interview, it was about what Luke needed to hear. It was about what mm-hmm. Luke is going through in this moment. Yep. The theme of the movie is not about letting the past die. You know, that's what the villain says. That's what the villain tries to do. And ultimately, it leaves him empty inside. What Yoda is trying to convey to Luke is that, yes, you've made all these mistakes. You know, we failed many times, but that's not something to be ashamed of. And he brings up the line from Return of the Jedi where he says, you know, pass on what you have learned. Well, don't just pass on your strengths, but pass on your weaknesses, pass on your failures because you can learn from that. Don't be ashamed of those things. Don't be ashamed of the past. He burns the tree because he's well aware that Rey already has all the books. She, he, she has what's important. What's important there isn't necessarily because, again, Luke thinks the books are in there. So that's that's why he does it, is he's like, dude, you're getting too focused on, on these things, and you're not even reading them. Like, like you're 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 con- you're not looking at you're you're confusing the the forest for the trees. You're 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 not looking at the big picture. Yeah, it uh, it also is really subtle. You d- I didn't notice it till like a third or fourth watching that the books aren't even in there. So Yoda blowing it up it, is and him laughing is hilarious to me that like essentially Ray and Yoda have one over on Luke who's so you know consumed with this thing that doesn't actually matter and actually is keeping him and his heart and his his body from actually engaging the world mm-hmm. it's like let me blow this thing up so that you can just re-engage yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's a salvific moment for me in terms of like uh, the redemption of a hero and you don't get to see that all that often where the hero needs to be rescued and and released that's what and and this is one of the places the writing and structure for me really really works is that he has been released and so when the tension is set up the the primary problem is set up at for that that last scene nobody's coming they've all abandoned us and he walks in the door that's that's that that's that's well crafted i thought i agree bang yeah uh, what else you like, Mothershed? Um, that's your list. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's mostly just Laura Dern, though. I, I hear it's that. mostly Laura. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I make no apologies for for loving Laura Dern. Um, I got two more things, and then we can move to the critiques. Yeah, totally fine. One thing I've never heard anyone else say this, but this is when I watch the movie, I think it's blindingly obvious that Leia has two sons. And that Poe's relationship to Leia is absolutely a mother-son relationship. Oh, definitely. And there, uh, there's no reason that they still can't like say, oh, and by the way. And he actually says in Rise of Skywalker, which we're not going to mention. We're not going to really talk about that movie. Let's go ahead and set that aside for a second. He <laughs> in, implies that he was running drugs. He was running spices in Rise of Skywalker. So he's taken after his father. He's clearly got this connection to, to Leia, his mother. Yeah, I'm, he's, he's totally haunting Leia's kid. They just, had, yeah. they just didn't make that canon. I love that she has a relationship with Poe that's very unique, and she has a relationship with Kylo Ren that is also very unique, and she has two very different sons in very different places. And her way of being in the world strikes me as as a praiseworthy, strong, maternal figure. And uh, I that that is the one element of... Well, it's not the one element. That's the primary element of Leia's character in this movie that I really enjoy is her relationship with the two men. Yeah, um, for me, it's 
uh, really interesting. Um, there's definitely that parental relationship with ha she has with Poe. The thing with Kylo that I I really enjoy is that that he's such a mama's boy. <laughs> you know, and again, I I'm not really gonna dwell on it, but I do like how that plays into the next movie. But with um with Poe, it's really interesting to me because the way I look at it is the Force Awakens. We didn't really get much from Poe. I mean, it didn't really establish anything about him. He's a cool pilot, I get. You know, like <laughs> he's a nice guy. He's got great hair. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact: They were gonna kill Poe off in the, at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and okay, you know this, so uh, I suppose that might be part of the reason that it didn't feel like his character really flourished there at the end. Mm -hmm. So I'm really <laughs> glad this movie let him shine, and uh, one of the ways it did that was through Leia, and I think basically kind of implying that Leia knows the great leader that Poe can be. Uh, and again, kind of basically Holdo acting as more of an extension of Leia's intentions is that they're pushing him in the right direction. And by the end of the movie, Leia's like, why are you guys all looking at me? <laughs> like, Yeah, don't, don't look at me, follow him. Yeah, and I, I really love that moment um, a lot because it kind of shows this transition. When she says that, I'm like, no. Why? Yeah, I would. I would. Uh, you seem like you're much more capable at this job. <laughs> I don't disagree with any of that at all. I will say, Jeff, just just to yeah. push back, if you don't like the if you don't like the high school feeling of Haldo, the the high school teacher encouraging Luke, I really don't like the uh, elementary school film of mom brings son to work, doesn't tell anyone <laughs> they're her son but allows him to do things that a child shouldn't do but he's cute i do just i do just love i i will say um carrie fisher being a presence in this movie i really yeah. do like because she is i'm just such a huge fan of her obviously as yeah. princess leia oh yeah and all <laughs> all of the things that come with princess leia for 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 people my age but also just growing past that and just learning who Carrie Fisher is yeah. and, and what a brilliant performer and human and writer. And, and it just, th there is such a grounding, um, no pun intended, or maybe force, uh, for her being in the movie because she does really connect it to the, to the original films. And there's just something about her that is unspoken. That is requires some reverence. I think agreed. Mm-hmm. No, she stepped into that public, a very difficult role, I imagine, to pull off, stepping into a public space where you're representing all of those ideas in that franchise. It's it's bigger than that. I mean, it is akin to the kind of job that, you know, some of the English royalty have in some ways, where you have to be a placeholder, and everywhere you go, this is who you are, you know, and it's identity forming, and that's, I imagine that would have been... I don't know that she signed up for that. <laughs> she did not. One of her jokes is every time I look in the mirror, I owe George a quarter because he owns my image everywhere. You know, <laughs> if uh, two 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 things to watch if you are a Star Wars and Carrie Fisher fan, right? Uh, go find it's on YouTube when when George Lucas won the AFI. Yep, uh, American Film Institute Award. Her speech to him is truly one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, and she goes through, I think that's where she started yep. saying the thing about every time I look in the mirror. And also if you can, it, um, I believe it's on HBO and also you can, you can j just purchase it. Her one woman show is truly a work of genius. And her section about Star Wars is 
for my money, one of the best things that's happened from Star Wars is is this like twenty minutes from her. It's absolutely worth finding because she's a genius. Agreed. I don't know that you'd put her naturally in my mind in the company of like a Tina Fey or like other like stellar comedic writer talents comedians oh i i would and i think she was getting her sea legs in force awakens but she's really bringing yeah bringing a performance i think in last jedi yeah she she knew she knew what she was meant to do and i i would put her uh, up there with with tina fey and i think tina fey brilliantly puts her up there there's a one of my favorite episode of episodes of 30 rock is is tina yeah. um Carrie Fisher plays a, a an older comedy writer who used to write on a laugh in type of show, and she's Tina Fey's she's Liz Lemon's hero, and they bring her in to to write on the show. And truly, one of the best moments is when Liz runs away from her. Carrie Fisher runs out the door and screams, "Liz Lemon, you're my only hope!" It's so <laughs> one of the best pop culture moments of the last fifteen years. I just remember watching that and thinking, "I think I think this is brilliant." <laughs> I, I, okay, I, I think I go on and on i'm probably not going to but aaron you got a last uh, last word on carrie fisher one thing i uh i think that's so amazing even though it was totally unintentional because of how unexpected carrie's passing was is uh, i think her her last moments her last scenes few scenes in this in the movie are such a great send-off for her truth um you know i i it's crazy to me that it wasn't planned, but Luke's line to, to Leia, I know he's talking about, you know, her son and, you know, even even Han a little bit there, but, you know, in a more meta sense, Luke saying no one's ever really gone, just hit so hard and then kissing kissing Leia on the forehead. It's such a beautiful moment, not only for the story, but, but for the audience. At the time when that movie released it, you know, it, it I think it, it's so important and it, it was so impactful. It was a perfect tribute. Absolutely perfect tribute to, yeah, unintentionally gorgeous tribute to one of the most important pop culture figures of the last 40 years. Mm. Though I will say, watching that scene, has nobody ever taught or shown Mark Hamill how to hold hands with somebody? (laughs) Is that scene where he grabs her hand and he, he put, like, what was that? I don't think I've, I'll have to (laughs) rewatch. He was doing a magic. There was some problems. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> it was like he had a. Like, can your fingers come apart? You don't have a hoof. You don't like when you, when you shake hands with a dog. He just p- puts it in your hand. But that's you're you're a human. You've got movable digits. <laughs> We're siblings. Here's my claw. <laughs> I remember when that picture got released. The two of them kind of hugging the the promotional photo from that. I just I remember feeling very emotional even yeah. seeing that picture, and and. I think just knowing how much she meant, Carrie Fisher meant to Mark Hamill. Anytime yep. he does any sort of tribute to to her, whether it's just words on Twitter or when he talks it, you know, there's the great kind of eulogy he did for her at Star Wars Celebration. It's you you can just feel how much she truly meant to him as a human being, and and it's it just moves me every time. Mark yeah. Hamill on the in the in a the se- a second breath here in embodies that same kind of public presence and just consistently uh, serves the rest of us by being such a quality individual as a public personality and that uh, yeah like, that's mm-hmm. a job man like having to put out your emotions your feelings about a human being for the sake of everybody else 
you know, that's, that's hard to do. Yeah. To publicly grieve losing someone who, who became your sister yeah. in real life. I can't imagine that. I yeah. cannot imagine doing that. Always just Mark Hamill routinely shows up and doesn't hold back his, you know, obviously I, I generally tend to agree with him on in terms of his political, the places he pushes into politically. And, but in, in just, but navigating that world, I imagine is incredibly difficult and he does it with a lot of skill. Bang. I got one last one. You got, you got anything else, Aaron? So this is something my, probably my biggest issue with the force awakens uh, is they finally get a chance to make a sequel to not only the original trilogy, but the prequel trilogy. Yet anything <laughs> related to the prequels is almost missing entirely, except for like the design of Hosnian Prime and a slight mention of the fact that Luke's father owned the lightsaber that and then they mention clones, but that's about it. Like it's so <laughs> Well, you know you know the opening line of Force Awakens, yeah? Yeah. It's this will begin to set things right. As though JJ's gonna 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 do much better than, than George did here on the Yeah. That's where we were at. I think the original line was going to be, what do you mean? Nothing happened 40 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, going into The Last Jedi and seeing like um, so much like so much of the prequel DNA in there, like, oh, my gosh, me in the theater as like a diehard Clone Wars fan hearing Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker mention Darth Sidious take over, like destroy the Jedi and take over and, and create the Empire and like what like like it was so crazy to me like it blew my mind and it was so cool like i never thought in a billion years that i would hear mark hamill as luke skywalker talk about the events of the prequel trilogy sure it was so Mm -hmm. cool Mm -hmm. and then like i know a lot of people aren't a fan of this part of the movie but i i enjoy it but canto bite is like one of the most prequel things in the movie and i enjoy it a lot like not only from the design of of the location and the vehicles and and how everything is kind of designed visually but also the themes of that storyline it feels like a clone wars episode or something uh that i really love no i think that's right it does feel like a clone wars episode Mm -hmm. well like a good example is like um i think it was clone wars season six with like rush clovis Yep. with the banking clan and all that stuff yep. and how you know it feels similar to that and i really i really loved that how it played into uh finn's story how uh yeah I, I just really enjoyed that so it can be difficult i think to this is always a trick for star wars to pull off how do you talk about contemporary politics and economics and make it still dress it up in in a world that's built for those under the age of 18. Mm-hmm. So Andor clearly is doing that at a real high level. Yeah. But that's a, for sure. but that's a fairly mature show. Mm-hmm. And so when they're talking about moving money in Andor or showcasing how fascism is, you know, a viral force, they're doing it in a very aggressive way um, mm-hmm. through the, like the torture scene in particular, or, you know, the, yeah. the sort of <sighs> violence that Andor can, can, Im- I don't know that you can pull that off in, in a movie like the last Jedi of all things. My last one was also a Cantabite scene. I'm a huge fan of broom kid. Mm-hmm. I, the, like one of the, I think one of the, the elements that doesn't go for star Wars on this is that all the people look like they're, 
very affluent. <laughs> that kid doesn't look like a slave to me. That's just me. But it looks like <laughs> somebody who goes to a fairly expensive New York City private school. <laughs> but <What? laughs> go back and look. No, so, I just did. <laughs> um, but the that the image of child slavery in this galaxy, I'm all for it. Droid slavery, I'm all for it. I want those stories. I think that those are important stories to tell. And for for the kids to have myths that they're grabbing hold of. And as you said earlier, the villain is the one saying, let the past die. But the last scene of the movie is, is a kid with his, you know, Kenner Star Wars figure telling the story of Luke Skywalker going out to meet you know the 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 this insidious force and 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 believing you know that he has a part to play and if does it go ahead i was just going to say does it feel like that moment i thought this for the first time watching it last night does it feel like that moment feels as if it happened sometime in the future yeah cuz that kind of felt like that to me i mm. I, I suddenly went sure. oh this is a jump forward cuz i used to hate that moment and then watching it last night i found myself thinking I feel like we just jumped five to ten years into the future, and this little kid is telling this properly as a legend. I uh, I wouldn't say the jump was like that far forward. Well, but sure, but so enough time into the future that it wasn't two days ago. Yeah, I, I for me it feels like it definitely does feel like a, a time jump. It it feels like that this the events that happened on crate of Luke Skywalker. As, as Luke put it at the beginning of the movie, of Luke going out and facing the whole First Order with a laser sword, it, it spread, you know, it, it spread throughout the galaxy, you know, and it, it's inspiring people during this dark time where uh, a new dark force has taken over, um, you know, because as Holdo and later Poe put it is, you know, they're the spark and Luke's actions help the spark of hope survive. I think that's well said, and I think that's right. On on a positive that I didn't know I had, that I actually that that something, Aaron, that you just said made me think. I've said on this podcast a lot that now because I had not seen any of the Clone Wars going into doing this podcast, and and now that I've watched so much of the Clone Wars, it has sort of retroactively made me feel a little better about the prequel films. And now having seen multiple times Andor. Some of the things in Andor have made me feel better about some of the things in this movie. The notion that if one person starts stepping up, that can that can have a, a domino effect. That moment in Andor, and then yesterday watching this this moment and seeing those one person standing forth. So so some of the some of the calls to action from Andor, or or even the power doesn't run or power doesn't panic. Some of those things and seeing mm-hmm. just how panicky and and flighty both kylo ren and oh my god um uh is it general hux is yep. that is that domhnall gleason's character yeah man just how panicked and freaked out they are some of those i i just i kept hearing some of those moments from andor in my head and thought okay this this actually makes this more interesting to me mm-hmm. knowing uh knowing those observations on those characters doesn't make it all okay for me but it 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 was interesting to re reapproach this material having so recently gotten to see Andor. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. My last word on on Broom Kid, and then we'll 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 shift to the what could be improved. <laughs> that's what he is. He in the, he, he's is that in the credits? Broom Kid is that what? It's? <laughs> but that's what his friends call him. <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose there's two things. There's one. 
it's it actually is a wonderful you know kiss as it were or, or hug from the rest of us to that YouTube viral video of the <laughs> of the poor guy swinging the broom around, you know, in, just in his garage, forever memorialized. He didn't sign up for that, but brother, <laughs> like if you're listening, th- th- you got a shout out on Star Wars. Wait, I have good job, Star Wars kid. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but secondarily, I suppose if they ever do an episode. 10 i really hope that they make that the 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 child slave um rebellion uh you know uh, uprising I, w- I would hope that they would make that more of a central element to what they would create in the future um i think that's a better place to land than i i'm i i, I suppose for me i'm i'm not as interested in the the continued adventures of of ray poe and Finn, although I think they could play a, I think Ray would probably need to play an important role moving forward. I think her name matters, and clearly she's the only one who knows the Jedi tradition anymore. I think that that the like the kids would be a better a place for them to land, which I suppose they're going to be doing some stuff with Skeleton Crew that's going to be more of a Goonies kid focused kind of storytelling in Star Wars, but mm-hmm. but in a way that feels much more like a pirate film, not right. a not a yeah. Force Star yeah. Wars. Yeah, got some uh, got some Peter Pan going on there. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't think about. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that property. I guess yeah, that could be <laughs> could be that. All right, you guys ready to bring the pain? Always ready to bring the pain, Jeff. All right, I'm 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 super interested in 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 Aaron's defenses so this doesn't have to just be all negativity there clearly can get spun some ways my first uh thing that I really wish they would have done better is the use of Anakin's sword I haven't heard anyone really talk about this but I remember watching it the first time and this was the thing I really wanted more from because the force awakens left us with Anakin's sword having real value it was Excalibur it was the sword pulled from the stone, I mean from the snow, I mean from the stone, and she took the mantle. She has it in hand, and when she presents it to Luke at the beginning, obviously, and it's tossed away, I get that in terms of character moments. We probably don't need to relitigate the fact that that doesn't strike a lot of us as, as a worthy moment, humor, and the rest. But the sword itself it seems to me is the most important symbol in all of Star Wars. Um, It's Anakin's life in the attack of the clones. It is the totem of conversion in A New Hope. This is your father's lightsaber. It is the symbol of loss and betrayal and empire. And it had so much meaning to me in the thing I really enjoyed most about The Force Awakens. And it just didn't work for me in terms of how they use it in Last Jedi. From it being tossed aside to it being torn apart to it just not necessarily getting its traction again. And I, I, I can feel them trying to get there sometimes, and it, but I, I felt like it really had a lot more potential than it would. And for me, because it's the primary symbol for me in Star Wars, I really would have liked to see that have more weight. So I don't know if there's objections or, or thoughts. Um, I agree. Cool. I'm glad. I'm glad we're very clear on where everyone stands. <laughs> <laughs> now let me tell you why you're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's definitely a valid take on it, but for me, 
uh, I kind of, uh, I don't mind what they did with it in this movie um, because in every second movie in each trilogy, the main character's lightsaber either gets destroyed or lost, like in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> um, you know, True. Anakin's lightsaber gets like cut in half pretty much by like in the Genosian factory. And then that's when he gets the classic lightsaber that we all know and love. And then in Empire, obviously Luke gets his hand cut off and he loses that lightsaber. So it's kind of tradition. And I get what you're saying with Luke tossing the saber, but you know, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. But what I like about it is for that, the lightsaber never really lost its meaning. It was always about, in the trilogy, it's always about, you know, whoever wields the saber, this is, they hold the mantle. They, this, they're the hero. And in terms of this story, Luke is not the hero. This is not his story. He's not the one who's supposed to take the saber. And constantly, Rey is picking it up when he, you know, declines. She then offers it to him again. And what I find even more interesting is this started in The Force Awakens and even continued in The Last Jedi is that Kylo wants it. He wants that mantle. He wants to feel like he's important. He wants to, what it represents, he wants that. And when it breaks, when it snaps in half, when it's pulled apart, um, when it's fractured, I love that because it kind of represents where our heroes are at. And it almost is a, is a microcosm of what the theme of the movie is in that, you know, you may be broken, you may be fractured you might feel like you're being torn in half but you can pull through you know this is a learning experience for you and also it kind of goes along with what i what i like about how this movie handles the legacy characters is that you know i think you know it's nice to to look at and see how shiny things are and oh we love to reminisce about how nice uh, how things used to be you know but in real life, things get dirty, things get roughed up, things get broken, you know, but it's about how we pick the pieces up and how we move on and learn from those things. So maybe I'm adding a little bit too much to it, too much value, too much meaning, but that's what I get out of it. So, No, I think that I, I think you're actually articulating the heart and the potential that I actually wanted to experience. Thor's hammer is destroyed. Um, you know, Tony Stark's uh, armor is has has issues. Like the thing, the 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 physical symbol that identifies someone is suddenly shattered. I suppose Lord of the Rings, uh, Narsilas needs to get put back together again for you to be king. Those sorts of things, I think, are really important. And I would have loved to see, especially as the movie closed, or in particular, because I think it would have worked better not to put the saber back together, but to have that be a central part of the third film because they actually do do something interesting with Luke, but it's with the sword because it's a hologram mm -hmm. um, or it's a force projection, I should say. There, I, I wanted to see some potential there and perhaps just leaving it as a black box for the next artist to pick up and because she's holding the shards at one point, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. I, I, I longed for an infusion of meaning there that was kind of hanging in the balance. Uh, the, to bring Thor back up again, one of the things that really worked for me in Endgame was how the hammer motif, you know, worked through that movie in terms of recreating a, a, something else, um, using the hammer in terms of Captain America's character, and, you know, bringing, bringing a lot of the symbols into play um, in terms of these, these represent more than just a weapon. This is identity, and it is lineage, and it is the history, all the history of the item suddenly infusing a new character 
with power. And so, like, mm-hmm. Ray picking up the saber is very similar to Steve Rogers picking up the the hammer, as it were. And you know, Jeff, have you seen um, have you seen Thor: Love and Thunder yet? Yeah. Okay, because I was going to say that movie similarly undoes a little bit of what you're saying. I think uh, just a touch, but well, we weren't critiquing that film. <laughs> if that movie didn't exist, I would agree. I loved that movie, and I I will I will uh, passionately defend it. Well, did you, well, um, I mean, you can say, you think that the the hammer in Love and Thunder doesn't work, or it's not? It's what? What? what what's your point? Well, I think the fact that it does get put back, it it does get put back together and and continues functioning the way it's it's meant to, just with somebody else. Yeah, I I really like, right, as it, opposed to not doing that or or trying to find something different with it. I mean, it kind of it kind of goes back to what it is. This goes to some of a, I don't know if this got recorded. It may have been our early conversation, but like, there's so much in pop culture and in American culture that needs to be to have kind of a sacredness to it, to have a weight to it. Like I want people to care more about the constitution. It really, I think matters at these kind of moments where people are just like, if I just get others in power who can sabotage electoral processes, then I, then me and people like me, even though we're in the minority will rule. Mm -hmm. That's just awful for a culture. The only thing protecting us from those sorts of events is to actually, is to elevate something like the constitution well above what it actually is in reality. Like we need to make it more of a sacred kind of document in our heads. And I, I like that about shared human culture, that there are some things that are blown up slightly more than, you know, what they actually are, but they, they, because we decide to infuse them with weight, they end up carrying us, defining us, giving us identity. And I don't know, there's a richness there anyway. It seems to me that, that that could happen here as well. Mm-hmm. That was a long, that was a long statement about the sword. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> what, no, I, I like it. What you got is your first thing that could be improved, Daniel? Well, my everything that I think actually falls under one umbrella. So rather than there are a handful of moments I could just go through and say this moment was terrible and this moment was not great, and and a lot of them are with Kylo Ren and and I just. I felt so bad for Adam Driver throughout moments of this movie because I just thought you were given nothing uh, in terms of the script and and your direction was be as emotional as you possibly can be, but there, I don't really feel like there are a lot of choices in it. And, and I don't feel like that's Adam Driver's fault because he's a wonderful actor. Um, my, my biggest complaint about this movie is I don't like a lot of the script. I think Ryan Johnson is a brilliant screenwriter and storyteller. Knives Out and Knives Out 2 are sensational movies. I, I enjoyed the hell out of both of them. Looper? But he... I mean, you could go down... Uh, Looper's fine. Oh, I, thought, um, I don't really enjoy Looper. Yeah, it's, I don't not like it. It's just I don't love it in the same way that you do. Um, he writes great dialogue, and it's really quick. It's really pithy it's it's really wonderful and i don't necessarily know that that always that 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 style of wit works in the star wars universe so there's just moments where i feel like it doesn't work and and i know i've said this before um if this was its own movie i don't know that i would really have a problem with it but this sequel trilogy is specifically meant to wrap up the skywalker family saga 
and I don't think this does that at all. This this is saying all these other things are more important. We're actively choosing to sort of move away from these characters, and that they do some great things with Luke in the movie. And 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 watching it again has been really nice to to sort of change that perspective. But I think in terms of wrapping up this saga, this story, this movie fails to fails to do that. And I don't understand why they got this screenplay and thought, yeah, perfect. Let's let's make this. Let me build on that. My my two critiques also kind of go down that road. And I'd love to hear your your thoughts, Aaron. Mine is my first my second critique was it's the writing. The just a couple of examples that don't work for me is like the rah rah speech from Holdo, the way that Cannabite is moralized, um, the oh my god you're famous introduction to Rose, yeah. uh, the Holdo for me we already talked about it but the Holdo Poe relationship is him you're a troublemaker aren't you, you know just it doesn't work for me. the The worst of these I think is the Snoke and his Hugh Hefner smoking jacket gives me everything <laughs> rape scene. Just I I don't know how else to interpret that, but that just it it struck me not just as dialogue failures, but I I feel like that's bad writing. So um, that's a, that's just a lot, and there's it's shotgunning because there's like twenty eight examples perhaps going on there. But do you, what what what's your general thoughts there, Aaron? Uh, I don't know. There's a there's a lot there. <laughs> 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 I, don't, I don't really know where to start. Um, so, oh no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's just like, I, I'm sure it's the case that you hear the critique and it's kind of like, well, yeah, but these things worked for me. And I mean, there's, there's most, a lot of things in the movie I can articulate very well, but for me, that was just like a lot at once. Like it was like the writing and then you named like a lot of the movie yeah. and I'm like, uh, um, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I could go by different parts. I don't. Um, so for me, um, I think one of the things that I kind of, I'm going to start with Canto Bite and Rose and that kind of stuff is I really enjoyed Rose and that kind of introduction, uh, there, I think, because it's not really the first time that's ever really happened in Star Wars. I mean, if you go back to the Phantom Menace with Anakin, you know, it's like, he's amazed that he's seeing these Jedi for the first time, you know, it's. Like, you know, you're going to use your laser sword and stuff, you know, he's, um, so, you know, it's not like that kind of thing is a new thing, but I also like how it plays into Rose's story. Too. I feel like I should say at this moment, I got bad news for you. Yeah. I don't like that movie either. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's fine. But, you know, it's just, it's just part of the, the, it's just, it's, it's been there before, you know? Um, right. And I like how it plays into Rose's story in that. Not only because I didn't really realize this the first time I saw the movie, but uh, Rose is given her own kind of little arc in there. It's kind of snuck in, which I enjoy. Um, Agreed. It kind of plays into the, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are. You can you can be great. Is that, you know, she looks up to Finn and then she kind of realizes that Finn actually isn't that different from her. You know, it's it's almost like a it's almost like a a nicer version of never meet your heroes kind of thing. Um, and in the end, Finn does become the person she thought he was. And then eventually the, the journey they go on, it helps Rose become a hero like Finn. Um, you know, and something I really liked that I wrote down was 
when they're at Canto Bight and they, you know, and they wreck the place and they free the fathers, is that, um, you know, she, she mentioned earlier that she wanted to run her whole fist through this town or, you know, something to that effect. But when they free the animals, um, Finn says that, you know, it's a good thing or it's, it's a, you know, it was worth it, right? We, we trashed that town and Rose doesn't agree with him. She frees, she gets the, you know, she frees one of the last fathers and um, gets the harness off her, off of it. And then she's like, now it was. So it plays into later on when she says that it's not about fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. You know, she she helps us realize that, like, and this has always been in Star Wars ever since, like, Return of the Jedi. You know, it's she doesn't take pleasure in destroying the town. It was worth it to her because she helped the animals. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It just goes to show that, like, she is a hero. She's a hero just as much as Finn is, just as much as, as Rey is or Poe in the end, you know, like, so I kind of like it, how it, mm-hmm. it kind of, it shows how she grows in, in the story. I, I do really like that moment where she says that. That that did, that that hit me last night when I was watching it, that that was a really good line. The the idea that it's not about, yeah, getting rid of what you hate, but saving what you love. I really like that. And and, and again, just thinking about Andor, it works in such contrast to, of, of Luthen saying, we're here to destroy everything and I'm okay mm-hmm. with that destroying me. Um that's a good call. Yeah, I do think that I don't. I I don't have anything against the character of uh, Rose, or that or that particular uh, uh, Kelly Marie Tran playing that character. I think she was. I think she was dealt a really bad hand by the kinds of people we've talked about disliking on on Twitter. So I think I think that woman and that character deserve a lot yeah. more than they than they got. Um, so I would actually agree with you there. I agree, and actually, like hearing you set up both of those, I'm like, yeah, that's that's actually fantastic. I think in the execution, perhaps it's the case that it's the first uh, is you know set up by Canabite and and how we reacted to that, and then second was set up with what is also a very controversial image of a Finn going towards the the cannon and us not understanding how that was going to work because. You know, it does it make sense for her to to sabotage his plan? It's not it's not intuitive that his plan's not going to work. I, I think that Ryan Johnson thinks his plan's not going to work, and so this is actually a rescue because he was just going to commit suicide running into that cannon. But if it was going to work, yeah. Um, so this is actually something that I've I've really had to think about a lot because I didn't really think much about it until people brought up the criticism, but. Think about it from this perspective. If Finn succeeds in taking out the cannon, even if he dies doing so, um, Poe's arc in the movie is basically null and void. Uh, because that moment at Crate is not only a defining moment for Finn and his story, but also Poe when Poe says, we need to back off. We're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Because in the beginning of the movie, he's leading this attack and he's leading his people. Yeah, they succeed, but overall it really wasn't worth it. Um, and so what, what the end of the movie tries to highlight at Crate is that um, Poe is looking around and he's seeing that they're not going to make it. Uh, we're losing more people than it's worth for this futile attack. We need to stop. So he pulls everyone back. And um, for Finn, I think um, he's now emboldened. He's, he's committed to the cause of the resistance. He's finally joined um, the resistance fully. Um, but he's kind of let this 
this kind of baggage that he has with the First Order cloud his judgment, and he won't listen. And he's like, he's, I won't let them win. You know, it's, it's not about, you know, doing what's like right. best in the moment. It's like he's consumed by his emotion. So I think, um, you know, the intention, especially when you look at it from this perspective, is that he was never going to, even if, when he, even if he did make it, uh, it wouldn't have any effect. And as they show in the movie, his, his speeder was like falling apart. <laughs> so yeah, I think, yeah. I don't know how to redeem that scene. I do. I I suppose this becomes a problem. I don't know how to address this problem actually. With Last Jedi, that when I hear the explanations of what the storytellers were trying to do, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And why didn't you do that? It does. Yeah, for whatever reason, it just doesn't click for me, or I didn't like. I don't feel like I have to do that when watching a lot of other movies that I like to explain the beats, as it were. I do understand the the point there. I think, but that would be, I think, tricky. I think, and I was thinking about it last night as I was watching it, just from a storytelling standpoint. I think sometimes I think you need to um, on this podcast. We've talked about this before, and I think it's been said a lot, particularly in critique of Marvel. Sometimes you have to let characters that we've come to love die to to give you some skin in the game and and really make you feel. Like, there are stakes in this world, and I think were I to rewrite that section of the movie, I think you could you can definitely keep Poe realizing we have to pull back, we're going to lose too many people, we're going to lose too many people that matter. And he sees sort of the full extent of the recklessness with which he has carried on through that whole movie. I think if suddenly you make Finn deciding to to sort of Doctor Strange, end of Doctor Strange love, ride that weapon to to his demise not because he's blinded by his thing but he finally realizes everybody else is pulled away or died and now he cares enough about it to to make that sacrifice to allow his friends to escape i would have let him and riding the ship that's falling apart but still making it i really like and i think had he succeeded I think then it teaches, it really teaches Poe a lesson and, and, and says there's real world stakes and weight here. We lost a character that, that we've kind of come to like and really enjoy, but his sacrifice was that so his friends could continue to fight and, and live. I would have been more interested. I, that would have really worked for me. Yeah. I suppose I agree on that front as well, that, uh, it wouldn't have been a bad thing to lose some characters along the line. I think they, I, I mean, just to this secondary, but I think they should have gone ahead and let Leia die in in the in the in the scene where she's in space. That would have created stakes. Finn dying would have created stakes, and then you would have felt real emotion when Luke came out that this probably isn't going to go well for him as well. You know, it's just that building mm-hmm. tension. I do understand that's not the message they're trying to convey. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's a tricky one. Uh, do you have things, Aaron, that, that you would have liked to have seen improved here? <sighs> so this was really hard for me. Uh, I had to think about this quite a bit because I'm overall really content with the movie. Uh, very content. Um, and in fact, my love of the movie has actually grown over the years. So it's been harder and harder for me to fully come up with stuff but I have I've come up with three stuff um, it's not as intense as your guys's but my biggest one and uh, it really kills me that this wasn't in the movie but Phasma's alternate death 
is so much better yep. than the one in the movie. And I love the one in the movie. I really do. I, I think it's one of my favorite Finn moments in the whole trilogy. But oh my god, the one in the in the deleted scenes, the deleted version. I don't know why they didn't do that because it ties into the Force Awakens so well. You want to tell say what happens? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, you know, during their fight, uh, Finn and Phasma uh, on the supremacy as it's like falling apart and burning. Um, they begin to fight, and Finn um, confronts her about what she did on Star Killer Base, saying. You know she's a coward, and um, you 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 let down the shields. And as he's doing this, there are stormtroopers around her, pointing guns at Finn, and they start to look at each other. And um, this is okay. This is after Finn hit her in the face with the uh, you know with the electro staff thing. Um, and so like you can see her eyes; she's getting nervous. Um, and she looks around and, sh and kills the troopers. Um, and she says, like, now why would anyone believe a story like that? And then, and then eventually Finn, you know, takes her out. And uh, it's, like, it's such a satisfying moment for Finn's character to, like... Like, the, mo the one in the movie is really satisfying, too, to see Finn overpower this figure in his life who oppressed him and, and controlled him. And it basically, you know, he was a slave, pretty much a slave soldier, um, a child soldier. And so to see him take her out was really awesome and claim himself, claim to be a rebel now was cool. But this version in the movie, or this version that was deleted was so much better um, for so many reasons, and I wish it was in the movie. Gives some more depth to that character for sure. Well, I feel like that, it really gives Gwy Gwendolyn Christie, who is a, who's just yeah. amazing. I mean, you love her as Brienne of Tarth. Um, we briefly mentioned the Adams, the Wednesday Adams show. She's so great as as the principal of the school and uh, of, of nevermore academy yeah if if you watch the sandman she's amazing as as the character of lucifer so yeah i, I, I just yeah that is a thing i felt too and, and for me it goes back to the writing Gwendolyn christie's so amazing and giving her that scene would have been i'm i'm with you on that that would have been stellar agreed <laughs> but you had two more yeah i had two more so these are a bit smaller um so something i i really thought was interesting that they brought up in the opening crawl title crawl of the movie is they talk about how snoke is mobilizing his forces to take over the galaxy after the destruction of the new republic well in the rise of skywalker we actually see the the first order's occupation and how awful they are you know we actually see them kidnapping and raiding kidnapping children and raiding people's houses in that movie on kajimi but i really would wish that the last jedi would have actually like shown the the first order taking over the galaxy uh like our only mm, real exposure sure. to the first order is everything that happens with the resistance and them chasing the resistance and the battle on crate i feel like there was a like i i understand that that would have really been stretching the movie thin there's already like focus on three different plot lines but imagine if like there was a scene on canto bite where over like the the hollow net or whatever they hear reports about the first order invading places or whatever things like that just something small it would have been neat it's kind of like in revenge of the sith when the opening title crawl says there's heroes on both sides but they just portrayed the separatists as like these evil bad guys all the time and it's like what do you mean there's heroes on both sides you know mm -hmm. yeah that's a statement that never uh, ages well yeah but in retrospect <laughs> Good one. The 
I, I thoroughly agree. Something that this this is also a failure of the original trilogy is just showing showing the Death Star blow up a planet and saying, you know, now imagine how terrible they are everywhere else. But you're not really showing how 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 terrible such forces are. This is one of again one of the really strong elements of Andor is putting a lot of flesh on stuff that hadn't been there so, such that if you're watching Andor into Rogue One into New Hope like you're you're much more I I feel myself much more enthusiastic about New Hope and what's taking place there than before because so much of the you know the backstory has been shown of mm-hmm. how terrible this is you gotta let Joffrey kill some folks in very vicious ways to really cheer yeah. that that kid yeah. got poisoned. So it's one of those things. <laughs> yeah. You got what's your last one, and then I'll I'll give you my last one. And we'll call it. So it kind of goes with something I love about the movie, is that one of the big reasons that Leia is so hard on Poe and wants to really push this idea of weighing your losses and being a uh, a good leader is because she's experienced so much loss in her life. I mean, she lost her planet. She, she lost her, her parents, she lost her son, she lost her, 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 her brother for a long time. Then she, she just loses her husband. I mean, she's gone through so much and yet is still able to be a leader and, and be there. And as The Last Jedi shows, she has moments of weakness. And over time, these things have really hurt her um, and left a mark on her life. As you see after the battle over... Um, over after the space battle at the beginning of the movie we see her look and and you know those losses those people who have died they weigh on her and then later on when they're coming out of hyperspace after the battle after the space battle she's in her her, in her room and she's just at this table and she's just mourning uh, these losses and you know i even han i think as the movie reminds us later on crate she's still mourning han um and his and his death and and losing her husband the problem is, and I wish I, and I, I do like that how it, the, this movie, for me at least, it doesn't treat the audience like we're idiots. Mm-hmm. It, I feel like it trusts us enough to understand what's happening. But I feel like with this, I feel like the movie does not make it extremely clear um, that this is why Leia is acting this way. Like, yeah, they make it clear that these losses are weighing on her. But I feel like if we had one scene at least where, where Leia just talked about how she felt, about how she's lost her, her planet, you know, she's like one of the last people of Alderaan, she's lost her parents, she, she's, she's, her life has almost been defined by loss. I wish she would have, there, there would have been a scene where that was made extremely clear, because um, it's there. Yeah. I just think they could have done a better job expressing that yeah i think that's a that's a great call there to i hadn't thought through this in terms of her line to luke i'm glad that you're here with me at the end is kind of the opposite to what you're saying like in in a life that's so filled with loss at least you know as she's moving to what she thinks is her death someone has come that's a i I think that's a that's a great call mm-hmm. yeah i like yeah i like that a lot all right, the, my last thing is something that Aaron and I have talked about before, so this won't be a, a, a surprise. But for me, the worst decision made in the, the sequels is making the redemption of Kylo Ren by Rey the centerpiece, the moral centerpiece. Because I think it's really hard just conceptually to make a villain be the person who needs to be redeemed by his love interest. 
because and the reason the primary reason being is that this is a terrible moral lesson um, and it's the outstanding moral lesson of the sequels I think it's different with the original trilogy trying to redeem your father that uh, that makes a little bit more sense to me because there's a different kind of relational connection there but I, I think it's a horrible moral encouragement to young people, specifically young girls, to, to say, when this person assaults you, <laughs> you know, just go, go, through the, go through the beats, assaults you, kills your mentor, weaponizes all your abandonment issues, routinely seeks to manipulate you. You can change them. You know, violate your privacy. There's a scene in, at the end of this, which I hadn't really caught, that he's instructing his whole forces to shoot down the Millennium Falcon. Who else would be flying that ship? Like, does he not realize that there's no real other options? And he does it with passion. There are sexual boundaries that she draws that he blows right past. Um, and when she actually falls into his trap and starts unveiling parts of her past, he uses them to tell her that she lacks value. And when she says, you're a mm. monster, he says, yes, I am. And when people tell you who they are, you, you should believe them. And all of these end up having that element of, you know, you you should never. I, I think a, that that is a very bad moral encouragement for folks to, um, especially in romantic relationships, their their siblings can save them. Their parents can save them. Their society can kick them in the face a handful of times and hopefully they'll grow up romantic partners. That's not your job. You know what I mean? And but I think yep. that's the primary moral encouragement of the sequel trilogy and that's clearly how it ends with oh look if i just love this horrible horrible person enough they will change and that's i think that's something worth worth really thinking about so i definitely agree with you if you know that's how the movie was trying to portray it but that's not necessarily how the the film went about it how how things were basically put is there is no relationship there. Mm. There's actually no real, there is no romantic relationship there until the very end. Ray makes things very clear with Kylo. Every time he does something, back off, back off. Like, she even tells him in The Rise of Skywalker that, yeah, I would be with you if you weren't, like, insane. Yeah. So there's nothing going on there. The only time she ever wants to be with him or or even lets him get close is when there's a genuine when he's actually listening and there's a genuine thing going on there and and when he says that um when she calls him a monster and, and he says yes i am it's not meant to be read as him being like yeah i'm a monster this is awesome or whatever or anything like that he says it and he whimpers he, he almost he almost looks like he's about to burst into tears and because and this is something the movie even expresses through snoke and through a lot of other a lot of characters uh, is that this whole idea that he's like he's not that at all? That's like the crux of, of his story is that he's trying to be something he's not. He 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 feels turned away by his family. He feels betrayed by his family. Like one night he woke up and he thinks his uncle was gonna murder him in the middle of his sleep. And he's like, my family thinks I'm a monster. Like he he then turns to. Uh, another mentor figure who he thinks will give him meaning and purpose and he just gets abused and berated with insults and he's never good enough and and so because again if we're just going to stick with the last jedi ray gives him a chance 
because something that is also was the intention is that Kylo is being genuine with her. He's not trying to deceive her when he listens to her. So that's something that is very important about that story. But when it all of a sudden becomes clear that like he doesn't want to turn, he doesn't want to change, he in that moment in the throne room that he, he killed Snoke, it was a very Sith-like thing to do, kill your master and take their place. Um, mm-hmm. She's like, no, I'm leaving. No, I we're done. You know, like, I gave you a chance. I'm leaving. This is it. Like, it, unless unless you can change, which at that point, it seemed pretty clear this guy had made up his mind, then she was kind of done with him. I, th- I think a lot of the things you're saying about the two things that uh, are rolling through my head as you're speaking is I think visually they really are showing this as a romantic relationship. Yeah, there's definitely feelings there. What else is their relationship? Why should she care about him at all? I think that that would be a primary for me. It's I don't think there's any reason for her to care about him at all, except for the case that visually they're trying to show you that that there is some sort of uh, attraction or sexual chemistry taking taking place there, even mm-hmm. if it's of an abusive, strange sort. Yeah. So, so I think that bond again when it starts out, it's very clear that it's it's very much stepping right off at the end of where they left off in The Force Awakens, uh, which was not on good terms. You know, it's not just, oh, I, I like you, I guess, now. It's over time, she starts to see that they're, that this person that she believed him to be this whole time, maybe that's not the case. Maybe at one point, maybe deep down, there is a good person in here. Maybe, you know, he is just hurt. And when he expresses that he hates the thing that he has become, you know, he hates the fact that he's considered a monster. I think Ray can relate to that, that, I, that struggle with identity, that struggle with not feeling like you have anywhere else to go, where you not feeling like you have any, anybody else to turn to. Because something that's, like, she tries to get that connection with Luke, and he doesn't really give it to her, ever, uh, really. Like, there, there are moments, but it's very fleeting. and um, So it, it comes from this, con- this connection of, of identity. But again... There is no relationship there. There is is there is no official romantic relationship there. There's just feelings, and the only times those feelings are really expressed is when they're just sitting and listening and and they're sharing and, and communicating. But in the end, she's like, no. Uh, if you if you're not gonna if this is how things are gonna be if this is how you're gonna be, I can't do this. I've I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind and and. It, again, I'm going to bring up The Rise of Skywalker again because it, it really does just continue off where things were in The Last Jedi where it's like, you made up your mind, now we're going to go. And when when Kylo Ren is redeemed, it's not through Rey. It is, yes, Rey telling Kylo that, you know, I wanted to take your hand, Ben's hand. That's an important moment. Um, it, does ha- it does help Ben. But really, Ben's redemption comes through Leia. It's not through Rey. Uh, she already offered him a chance. And she was okay. Well, you've made up your mind. You know, like, she doesn't try to, she just, she makes sure she, he doesn't die, but then she just leaves him. She doesn't try to carry him off the Death Star like Luke did in Return of the Jedi. She just leaves him. That's it. So it's not until he actually comes and helps and, and has truly become a better, or at least has made up his mind and, and said he's going to be better and has changed and feels like he is now who he wants to be and and feels content uh, and has purpose now that they are finally together and that she feels comfortable being with him. Um, 
But again, what you said, I, I do agree with. I agree with what you said. Yeah. I think two two scenes, I suppose, just to to piggyback. I, I love your explanation or your your thoughts there. The I really wish I could take your hand, Ben's hand. That's an intimate statement. Mm-hmm. And another statement that really showcases Ray's motive takes place when she's talking to Skywalker and saying, "When we held hands, I I saw his future." And the 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 I I don't know how else to 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 read that scene aside from man is shirtless and they're holding hands and daddy walks in on them having a very, what seems to be a very intimate sexual moment in the way that star Wars conveys sexual moments. Yeah. There again, I'm there. Are, there's those feelings between the characters the, the movies are definitely trying to convey that they have feelings for each other. And there is, there is a connection being made there, but there, there really is no, uh, official relationship. Ray is more so trying to give him a chance, and when she finally does say, "Hey, we can be together. We can join forces. Come with me and help us stop this. Help us end this." And he says, "No, you come with me." He's like, "No." You know, like that moment in the throne room is kind of when if he did accept, then there probably would have been something official or anything like that. But before that point, it's more so, "I relate to you. I feel a strong connection to you." emotionally you know but that's as far as it really goes and it's not until the very end of the trilogy where ben is finally changed and you know that where they're finally together so i hear you yeah uh we've we've been going (laughs) i've just been checking my email no uh (laughs) no i i i i uh i don't i don't really disagree with either of you that that's that's what I got on that. I think yeah. I think there there's some there's definitely some inappropriateness from Kylo. But I also like you said, Jeff. I agree with that. But I also agree with uh, I also agree with the idea that Ray is Ray does a stellar job sort of standing up for herself and saying no more of this. When when things really start to get kind of sketchy, and 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 Kylo really reveals who he is. She she does do a pretty excellent job of saying, okay, if this is if this is the way this is going to be, then no more. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I suppose for me, and it's a lot of visuals, so it's not necessarily in the language. But she has she has you know mascara on. She's got some lipstick. She shows up at the like her. If you look at at, I see both your faces, but if you look at her, she's clearly got makeup on. Going. Well, they all do. They're, it's, it's acting. That's how it's, it works. it's a movie. That's, I, I'm not familiar with the filmmaking process. Maybe that's the thing. <laughs> Pursuing him at great, you know, danger to herself. I touched his hand. I saw his future. If he turns, we could win this thing. It, it strikes me that there's just a lot of imagery of, of the young girl who says, you know, all of your wildest dreams will come true if you just see, see, see your boyfriend turned you know, as it were, that in my mind just overlaces so much of the underlying dynamic of those characters. Mm-hmm. I do, I, I am encouraged that that's not necessarily everybody else's interpretation of the Well, I think that's that there, are. but then when they're actually in Snoke's throne room and she thinks she's going to get what she wants and then he shows that that's not what he wants and he actually, this is who he is, yeah. she does leave. She's not having it. So I think there is a, I think there is that in there. I think you're right, but I also think you're right because she also rejects that. And I, and I think that is a moment where she gets to 
take her autonomy for herself and realize that she doesn't need him, she's going to go yeah. if that's what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think it's, I think it's both. That's what I'll say. I just, I just want to say that I, I really see where you're coming from. And if I, you know, I agree with what you're saying when it comes to, you know, I don't really think how um, you're interpreting it was what the filmmaker intended or um, how the scenes were trying to be played. But, you know, I I see where you're coming from, and I think uh, it's a valid perspective. And my take on it is romantic relationships in in movies are are normally hit or miss. They're very very, um, hit or miss. I think Star Wars is a good example of that. Sure. (laughs) Uh, It's a good call. They don't always land. <laughs> yep. Um, for me, I totally get where you're coming from. And the only reason it really does work for me is because there are boundaries set in place between these characters, and they only really are together when they're both in the light and they both have ch- uh, become better people. You know, and, and again, it's it, they don't treat Rey like this savior character that needs, you know, or whatever. It's, it's more of a combination of things. It's Rey, it's Leia, it's this guilt that he feels over killing Han, you know, so it's, it's, you know, if without those things though, without these certain things, it wouldn't work for me. But so I understand where you're coming from and I get it. And to an extent, I, I definitely agree with you. So. Bing. Yeah. Well, that's what I got. I did. But just to end on a positive note, the fact that, uh, Snoke is the one deceiving Ray in this scene. And you're like, Oh, that, undercuts everything and then luke is deceiving kylo ren at mm-hmm. the end of the movie i like that that's a good parallel yeah mm-hmm. i don't know that we've mentioned the last line or the deception that's being played but all of luke's powers being brought in there the maturity the i'm the old lion and yeah. i'm the bestia and his last line that's the last line from luke skywalker see you around kid is a, <laughs> a great last line yeah feels got, yeah got some uh got some harrison ford kind of under under i was just gonna it. say feels like harrison yeah. ford yeah <laughs> it's, it would have been out of place for hamill to do is to bust out his ford impersonation at that yeah. moment but, <laughs> but the spirit of it spirit is there, is I there like it. for sure yeah Bing, aaron it was a delight having you my yeah friend. absolutely thanks thanks for having me on provided some much needed balance for uh, for <laughs> us that was good yeah i had fun L- last you got uh, last words on on this film in celebration of year five. Um, you know, I I uh, this this movie means a lot to me, and for so many reasons, I uh, I've kind of come to accept that Star Wars is just an, an inherently controversial thing. <laughs> you know, whenever you got new stuff coming out, especially the movies, I kind of always expect a mixed reaction or stuff like this to happen. But you know. I've, over the years, I've come to just listen to people uh, and totally understand where they're coming from while also remembering why I love something. And I think it's led to some great moments. And um, no matter how divisive this movie has been, uh, I think it's brought me closer to so many people in this community like you guys. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, whether it's the experience that this movie has given me, um, you know, just watching it or the conversations that it's helped me have, you know, with you guys and people on Twitter, it's been great. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the last Jedi and Ryan Johnson's film. And it's crazy that it's been five years. So it's a good word. Last word, Daniel. I will say I, I, in, in rewatching the film, honestly, for one of the first times since it 
was released and and in this conversation and 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 getting to hear so many of of Aaron's really well thought out and and clearly educated points i i have warmed towards this film more than more than i have when it initially came out it's it's still not one of my favorites but some of the some of the dislike that i kind of had for it has sort of gone away there 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 there's there're more endearing moments and and things that i enjoy more in it from when I had initially seen it to now. So over the last five years, or I guess in the last five hours, <laughs> it's, 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 it's grown on me. And I, and I feel a little bit less, I feel a little bit less bitter and disappointed towards it. And, and I'm able to sort of look at it a little bit more for what that particular film is than, than I think I did before. So I did not expect that. And, and it's a fun surprise. So you win. <laughs> uh- Fortunately or unfortunately for me, I think my reaction remains what it was the first time I saw it, is that there were a, there were so many moments, Star Wars moments, that I was like, that is as well done as anything I've ever seen Star Wars-wise. And there are some low points where I'm just like, they could not have done that that worse for me. And, and, and the, that, I think, it encapsulates a lot of you know, the energies, tensions, and all the rest that come to this. I love, love, love the fact that that folks uh, love and appreciate this film. We've mentioned a handful of films that that I love the hell out of that that nobody else likes. Uh, Recently, it was Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves, and uh, we could talk about my love for for the the MCU Hulk movie or... The oeuvre of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Just all things Schwarzenegger. I, I'm a defender of, and 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 I'm gonna just I'm gonna stay on that ledge. Your choice, man. <laughs> it is the case. I suppose to circle back to the the first thing that that we said. There are so few things in our culture that pulls you know so many different people together all in the same time and place, and and it, it's one of those. Parts of, you know, eight, the culture I grew up in, 80s, 90s culture that I so miss is uh, just these these places of pop culture commonality. So it's good that there's still some tent poles still existing that we can come around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, friends, it would mean the world to us. Actually, if, if this is your first time listening, I imagine those, if you're new to our podcast, we have done a deep dive starting in some of the best episodes of The Clone Wars. Our podcast works like a book, so you just jump into the first episode and listen through. Lots of good stuff there in terms of our favorite stuff from the Clone Wars, and we actually do mention the the best parts of The Last Jedi frequently. Giving us some stars on iTunes is always appreciated, or on the Spotify you can do that, and as with all podcasts, this one survives if you share it with passion to friends. I suppose finally, if you want to connect with us, you can find both Daniel and I on the Twitter, both at Star Wars Binge and uh, Mothershed's at the Mothershed. <laughs> at the yes, there are there are five of us, but I <laughs> I claim I, I I stuck that claim before anyone else did. So, and you can find all of Aaron's great work at at Aaron Sky Guy on the Twitter. That's what we got. So, anything else? Uh, nope. No. Is Aaron Sky Guy? His Twitter presence is powerful. It's phenomenal. Absolutely. Thank and you. He's Daniel Mothershed. And I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I'm Jeff Cook. And see you around, kid, I suppose might, might work. Perfect. Uh, 
But you know why, Daniel? Because this is the way. This is the way. Because this is the way. Hell yeah. if you ever make it through the ends of our podcast i actually all the work that i do like it takes me at least an hour to do just the ending of our podcast well is that not really but the like i spend a lot of time on those and i don't think anybody ever listens to them yeah 